0: Together.
1: Thanks for listening to the KC Morning Show.
2: Everything's running smoothly.
1: Yo, yo, yo! Yo! What is going on? My name's Hartzell. And it's right here, yeah. it's your KC, Mo. Hey, what's the word kansas city what's the word the kc morning hoes so hey before we get to this special thursday edition of taking back america let me knock out some housekeeping i well first off i have some news and it's very good news and we'll talk about that news next week but number two gonna be kicking it friday at the cable Dahmer arena we're doing that soccer that indoor soccer i'm gonna be a part of the celebrity halftime game lol last time i did this almost went to the hospital so there we go also this saturday after the sporting kc game i'm gonna be kicking it over at hollywood casino from after the game until question mark question mark question mark yeah uh uh-huh conditions are so ideal in kansas city On the show today, like I said, a special edition, a special Thursday edition of Taking Back America. Myself, Professor Harvey K. we reclaim that radical social democratic history of America. Say that 10 times fast. The reason we're doing it on a Thursday, the State of the Union was on Tuesday, and we're going to talk about it. So we took a couple days to analyze, and we'll get back to the FDR series next week. But since it's been a while since me and Harvey have recorded, we thought we'd do a little news of the day on a Thursday. My name is Hartzell. It is a good-ass day to be a Kansas Cityan. Oh, yes, always. We'll see ya in the morning. Bye.
2: 11th, 1970, victory belonged to Hank Stram and his Kansas City Chiefs. TV9 News special report, close up the flood of 77. From the Kemper Arena in Kansas City, Missouri, it's Milwaukee Bucks against the Kansas City Kings. Now, Kansas Citians must decide what happens next. What is to follow the city's Holy Week riots?
1: I am here at the American Royal
2: World Series of Barbecue. Daryl Motley awaits, and the Kansas City Royals are world champions.
1: K, my brother! How are you doing, sir? He is the Professor Emeritus over at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. My friend, I don't know if it's the season or what, but you look especially radical on the, <laughs> on this beautiful day in Kansas City. You're in Green Bay. I think I have an idea why. I think we both got some really uh, some good news today that... You know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We can't say anything, but it was a good day. It's been fun today, but we can't say why yet. (laughs)
2: We're
1: the worst teases, Professor K.
0: But by the way, I don't know if people realize, you and I haven't actually been together like this. We're not actually physically together, we're verbally together is verbally, virtually, <laughs> virtually together. When's well, the last time we actually produced one been about two
1: weeks In about two weeks. Right. So, so I hope
0: everyone appreciates that. We're back.
1: We're back, baby. <laughs> Professor Kay and Hartzell back to reclaim the radical history of America.
0: Except that today we're not going to do FDR today. Although FDR will be in our heads as we <laughs> assess, we judge, we critique, we review Tuesday night state of
1: the union address by president Joseph Biden. Also, Professor K, I haven't got a chance to talk to you about the craziness in the world right now, the Eastern Bloc. What we're witnessing. I mean, that's the only way to put it, what we're witnessing, because we're not, I mean, we're we're out of it,
0: except by way of some sanctions, which I know are major sanctions. But it's also the case that we're watching a European war that, I mean, it's not that Europe hasn't seen war. We saw the Bosnia-Herzegovina. I mean, it's the fact that we're literally on the sidelines watching trying to make a difference without intervening. And the people of Ukraine are dying and suffering. I mean, that's no other way to put it. Maybe, maybe not yet at the, on the scale that, that's forthcoming. I mean, the Russians have been very disappointed in their initial invasion, but you can be sure that they are accumulating firepower right now. And I want people to know that in the past, when they've confronted what they see as uh, former Soviet peoples and tried to suppress
1: their aspirations they have leveled cities and i fear for what's coming president biden's state of the union it did in fact kick off with ukraine but let's get overall thoughts professor k what do you think in general of the state of the union is the state of our union actually strong professor k let's put it this way we know that he covered a
0: lot of territory he first of all addressed what clearly is a major crisis in international affairs the Soviet, listen to me, Soviet, I'm about to say, the Russian invasion. I mean, look, I mean, Putin is a leftover from the Soviet Union. That's to be clear. Though it seems quite often that he's more in the tradition of the czars as much as he is of Stalin and the rest. But he opens up with that discussion. And by the way, given the fact that he had to figure out how to talk about the invasion in a forceful way, in a threatening way, a promise that this will not go unaddressed, And the sanctions are intended to be uh, powerful and impactful. But then at the same time, he had to actually say, but we're not going to get directly involved in a military fashion. However, he then said, every inch of NATO territory would be defended If the Russians decided to attack, I think he may have. Well, did he refer to Poland and and the Baltic republics? I forget the exact words.
1: I think we can describe that speech on Tuesday. A lot of covering his ass. Does that make sense, Harvey? Yeah, actually, I hadn't thought of that way because I try to be I was trying to be generous, you know. But after a while,
0: there was one point where my wife said, how many times is he going to say folks? You know, like like, he it folks, here's the best elixir for your health problems. (laughs) You know, and even a joke about it seems terrible. Not joking about the president. I mean, it's the fact that the world right now, imagine this. Imagine if some rogue Soviet general heading up a tank battalion or some Belarusian ass gets the wrong map and turns right instead of left and ends up in Poland. And it looks like the Russians are behind an invasion of Poland. Well, that automatically places us in a state of war. And
1: Putin has already heightened the threat of nuclear encounters. We've heard a lot of folks saying, no fly zones, no fly zones. Well, that's about a half step away from war. It is an act of war. If you're going to to be prepared to shoot down
0: So I keep wanting to say Soviet. It feels like it, though, Harvey, this feels. Yeah. Or if you want to, we could pretend we're in Hollywood and we'll call them Ruskies. Right. (laughs) So he begins at that. And I think that was intended as a, you know, a sort of framing with the defensive democracy idea, which would also then segue, it would seem, into the questions that confront the nation, because we all know, even if Biden didn't quite say it. He described the makings of a crisis of democracy. Absolutely. And he, he made all the right gestures. He mentioned the PRO Act. He mentioned voting rights acts. He talked about the threat to the woman's right to choose and women's health care generally, the threat to trans young people's rights. I mean, he hit the right notes. But I'll tell you what I sent to you last night in a text and I sent it around to other people I, I said, look, in sum, Biden said all the right things and yet said nothing. He offered a checklist for the base, except for the surprising statement that he made, which was to try to appeal to white suburbanites that instead of talking about defunding the police, we would give more dollars to the police. And by the way, we've heard him say that before, but he advanced no story, no vision. He, he didn't speak of how the rights that he was worried about were won and how to d- defending them requires us to fight not only to defend them, because I'll come back to a quote, they need to be enhanced. Henry Demarest Lloyd wrote 100 years ago, 120 years ago, and I think he was standing on the shoulders of the great abolitionist and labor advocate Wendell Phillips of the late 19th century, a compadre of Frederick Douglass and others. As Wendell Phillips put it, liberty demands more than vigilance. If you're going to secure, you're going to defend the rights that your fathers have granted you. This is a 19th century language, but we could say fathers and mothers have granted to, to you, to us, we must make sure that we create new rights for our children. That is, democracy doesn't just get defended the defense of democracy requires the enhancement of democracy. That's the key thing. It just wasn't there somehow. There was no story to bind together all the various strands of what he was saying and connect the anxieties and the aspirations Americans have to the past and the imperative of, of defending and fulfilling what our parents and our grandparents and our great grandparents afforded us. You know, I'm people always say, you always expect too much of Biden. You got it. You truthfully, you didn't really expect him to do that. Did you let me be clear about it? Honestly, in a fundamental way, no, I didn't given the fact that, and I'll come back to this in, for the 45 years of his political career, he was a neoliberal. He wanted to literally cut into social security and Medicare so why why should we expect that in spite of his having won the presidency in a more progressive on a more progressive platform that he really would have changed you know is the, what is it? The lion doesn't change his stripes or the zebra doesn't, <laughs> zebra doesn't change. You, you got the idea. I never changed my stripes. I can tell you that. This is key. I mean, let's face it, the proposals that were advanced this past year were really excellent. And a year ago, and he took full credit for the American Rescue Plan. American Rescue Plan was a damn good start. But you and I both know that the American Rescue Plan, it it's over. It did its work. And indeed, the economy has rebounded. I can't tell you that inequality. Has been reduced, but I can tell you that we're not in the same economic straits we were a year and two years ago. But here's the thing that they enacted that child tax credit and they said 50% of the kids in poverty would be lifted out of poverty. Well, two cheers. I couldn't make it three cheers because what happened to the other 50% that didn't get lifted out of poverty? And now I don't know if I can cheer at all because. It's over the child tax credit. If I were a cartoonist, it would be the image of all of these kids falling backwards into the swamp of uh, poverty. The point is that it's over. And the other thing is, is that once they enacted the American Rescue Plan, which by the way, did not include the $15 minimum wage, they went on to screw the progressives by pulling the bipartisan infrastructure plan out of the biggest part of the legislation. He's now reciting all the stuff He didn't do, here's my plan. When you and I both know, what's the chances of the plans being enacted in whatever form? Zero. So in other words, what he really needed to do is not just reenact last year. What he really needed to do was go well beyond that. And he needed to talk to Americans about American history and what the lessons of American history are. And the lessons are that I, Joe Biden, not unlike the greats, Washington, Lincoln, and FDR- must talk to you, not only honestly, but I must engage you in the struggle to defend and advance democracy. And that's not what he did. There was no call to workers, labor, Black Lives Matter folks, to use his word, to step forward again and, make, and push, make demands, be heard. Nothing like that. Join the campaign, something along those lines. So let's look at this speech, okay? Let's look at some of the words, good and bad. Some of them are really good. I mean, who could fail to appreciate this line with a duty to one another, to America, to the American people, to the Constitution, and an unwavering resolve that freedom will always triumph over tyranny. you got to love that. And by the way, it's not necessarily true, because right now the Russians are going to conquer the Ukraine, what used to be called the Ukraine. They're going to conquer the country. It's not like Putin's going to wake up tomorrow and announce, you know what? in favor of world peace and protecting my fellow russians from the impact of the sanctions i'm pulling my troops out and apologizing that's not going to happen things don't just happen it may happen but the goodness doesn't come because somehow freedom sounds better than tyranny it's going to happen because people make it happen one way or the other and i accept biden is not in a position at all in light of the nuclear weapons that exist to send planes into the air, to do anything that would threaten Putin all the more. And and the tragedy, it's like it's written in the stars. But if we back up, let me make it clear. They should have been acting before the invasion. They should have been talking about, here are the sanctions we are going to impose upon you. This is the way it is. And if they didn't do it publicly, I hope they at least gave Putin a sense of what they were going to do by way of Diplomatic communiques. There's a line that I did like, but it became all the more frustrating when he goes on to talk about all the sanctions, which the Russians are prepared for. They've pil- they've stockpiled reserves for these kinds of things. I mean, everyone probably got a kick out of the fact that we're going to chase down the the yachts and properties of the oligarchs. Hey, I'd like to do that to the American oligarchs. How's that? That would have made for a hell of a State of the Union speech when he gets up there. He talked about they were going to go after the pandemic fraudsters. How about, well, I'll get to the capitalist question a little later. (laughs) Next thing I want to call people's attention, to, I've already referred to it, he talks about... His dad, he always, his dad had to leave his home at Scranton to find work. So like many of you, I grew up in a family where when the price of food went up, it was felt throughout the family had an impact. Inflation, right? That's what he's talking about. That's why one of the first things I did as president was to fight to pass the American Rescue Plan. If people remember what we did a couple of weeks ago, remember what FDR did when he talked about accomplishments of his administration? He didn't say, I did this. He said, we did this. And that's where he should have said, we did this. And that's why we need you folks to once again, apply pressure, make things happen. Well, they didn't, right? Now, at that point, he said a very a good, a good couple of things. He said, unlike the $2 trillion tax cut passed in the previous administration that benefited the top 1% of Americans, the American Rescue Plan helped working people and left no one behind. I mean, call me Picayune. They left 50% of the kids in poverty. Anyway, and he goes on, and it worked. It created jobs. Now, he went on to do something that I thought was really good. But then again, he got his dates wrong. For the past 40 years, we were told that tax breaks for those at the top and benefits would trickle down and everyone would benefit. 40 years ago was 1982. President Ronald Reagan. But it wasn't, it wasn't Reagan who started talking like that. It was 45 years ago. Jimmy Carter in well forty-four years to be precise, nineteen seventy-eight, when Jimmy Carter said, We have to liberate capital, we have to suffer some austerity, we're gonna we're gonna deregulate. I mean he did all he basically talked like Reagan would eventually do. Neoliberalism began not with Reagan. It began with Carter. Okay, but that trickle down theory led to a weaker economic growth, lower wages, bigger deficits and a widening gap between those at the top and everyone else in nearly a century. Joe Biden was a neoliberal. That's exactly the kind of stuff that he was urging. You ever see the movie The Blues Brothers? When uh, Belushi's character, you know, with uh, Aykroyd's character, they they enter the church and it's like Belushi, all of a sudden the light just like shines on him. I wanted to have one of those moments where all of a sudden the light shone on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Biden. He boogie down and, you know, he basically was saying, I've seen the light. 45 years I've been wrong. That didn't happen. And then, of course, he segued from all of this to celebrate the Intel Corporation, billion dollar semiconductor mega site in Ohio. And all I could think of, well, what about just up the road at Lordstown, the plant that GM shut down? I mean, what about them? What about them? Why well, Couldn't he at least have said something to connect the two? He then, at the end of celebrating Intel and had the Intel boss stand up and get applause. He then said, GM is making the largest investment in its history, $7 billion to build electric vehicles, creating 4,000 jobs in Michigan. Well, tell that to the folks in Ohio and Pennsylvania who were laid off. Let me put it this way. Knowledge is a dangerous thing. It it hurts. It hurts. And he goes on and he said, we're going to fight inflation, blah, 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 more infrastructure, innovate. By the way, great. I celebrate that stuff. And then he said, I called it building a better America. He says, my plan to fight inflation will lower your costs and lower the deficit. First, cut the cost of prescription drugs. And I wrote a note to myself this morning when I ran off the speech so I
1: could make some notes. And I said, well, why not just Medicare for all? Why not? I mean, what what is with these people? They think we're idiots, right? Harvey, did you catch that idea of testing and treating on the spot? Wow, what a concept. Let's do that for not just COVID-19. Let's do that for, I don't know, all the diseases. He said, "The third thing we can do to change the standard of living for hardworking folks
0: is cut the cost of childcare. Cut the cost of childcare, folks. If you live in a major city in America, you pay up to fourteen thousand. That's true. That's his build back better, I assume. I sat there well, what's your what is your plan? I don't get it. Give me your plan. I, I just didn't get it. I'm coming up to this one part where I just wanted to just reach into the TV screen and say, what." are you doing? He said, I'm not looking to punish anybody. He promised that nobody who made under $400,000 he will pay an additional penny in new taxes. I'm not looking to punish anybody, but let's make corporations and the wealthy Americans start paying their fair share. Look, last year, and then he stops and he goes, like Chris Coons and Tom Carper and my distinguished congresswoman, we come from the land of corporate America. Well, no, d- <laughs> Chris Coons, the one who stands out in my mind, voted against against the $15 an hour minimum wage. Well, my goodness, why doesn't he say, and Chris Coons, I've got my eye on you, (laughs) you know, something like that. I want to get to this point of speech. He said, basically, lowering your costs means demanding more competition. And then he says that, I'm a capitalist. He says, I'm a capitalist. No, you're not. You're president of the United States. But capitalism without competition isn't capitalism. One of my former students, a PhD student, at Loyola University sent me a text at that immediately afterward. It was a really clever text. And he said he said, Capitalism without competition is exploitation. Now that would be a really meaningful sentence and it wouldn't be so jargon like if they dropped a few words what he meant is capitalism is an exploitation that's chad Austin, my former student who's in in chicago now promised him i would give him credit i like the fact that he said raise the minimum wage to 15 an hour and extend the child tax credit so no one has to raise a family in poverty well extended and enlarge the child tax credit one two chris coons he could have said hey chris kirsten cinema you folks who had the audacity to vote no on 15 an hour get it together I mean. We're supposed to believe it was the Republicans fault the way he was talking. No, it was the Democratic Party right wingers, the corporate Dems. It was their fault. Then he, he throws out a bone to labor. Let's pass the PRO Act. When a majority of workers want to form a union, they shouldn't be able to be stopped. One line. Why didn't he say in 1935, Franklin Roosevelt signed into law the National Labor Relations Act, named after the great Senator Robert Wagner, also known as, in essence, the Wagner Act. And for too many years, we've allowed that law to be reduced to an almost meaningless level where the federal government was once the guarantor of labor unionism, of workers' right to organize. We've now gotten to the point where I have to stand before a Congress and say, let's pass the PRO Act. That would have been important. Or how about if he said, let's pass the PRO Act and workers, if your bosses are giving you a hard time, call the White House and we will send, we will send someone. We will show our support, but no, nah, forget it. Okay. He then comes back to another question. He says, law enforcement got to restore trust and hold law enforcement accountable. That's why the justice department has required I got to apologize to everyone. Keep this in the tape. I'm sucking out of candy because I didn't bring water to the table.
1: (laughs) He got so hot, (laughs) y'all.
0: That's why the Justice Department has required body cameras, banned chokeholds, and restricted no-knock warrants for its officers. He might have wanted to recall some of the police killings. And if he wanted to balance it off, he could have talked about policemen who died on the job, which he went on to do. He says, that's why the American Rescue Plan that you all provided. This is one time when it's like, that you all provided. And then he says, the punchline: we should all agree. The answer is not to defund the police. By the way, I don't think any congressperson ever called for defunding the police. It's to fund the police. Fund them. Fund them. You know those guys who say, come out to the raceway like, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. That's exactly (laughs) what he says. Fund them. Fund them. Fund them. With resources and training. Resources and training they need to protect their communities. I think my point is made. I don't need to go there. And then he turns to the question of the right to vote. The most fundamental right in America is the right to vote. And have it counted. And look, it's under assault. In state after state, new laws have been passed, not only to suppress the vote, we've been there before, but to subvert the entire election. We can't let this happen. Tonight, I call on the Senate to pass the Freedom to Vote Act. Here again, it's like pass the Pro Act, pass the Freedom to Vote Act. Call people into the streets. Of it. No, well, he wouldn't do that. But call them out to make their voices heard. Let them flood Capitol Hill with phone calls. Let there be a march on Washington for union rights, you know, workers and voters rights. I mean, let's let's get serious about this is what I'm getting at. You know, I can go on and on. He next came up to the question of Roe v. Wade. He said the constitutional right affirmed by Roe v. Wade standing precedent for half a century is under attack as never before. He had some Supreme Court justices sitting in front of him who are salivating at the chance of doing in Roe v. Wade. He should have looked down to them and said the court has no right to overturn women's rights. Right there. By the way, I just want to say there were people on Twitter who didn't even hear me as vociferously as I am now, (laughs) who thought that I was unkind, who thought that I should have celebrated the speech. Well, said a lot of stuff, but nothing in that speech last night is to be rejected necessarily. It's the fact that He didn't show a way forward, a path forward. And to do that, he would have had to talk a little bit about how we came to possess rights and the imperative of Americans to gather together, to unite across all the divisions that the Republicans and even the Democrats have allowed to literally get in the way of progressive possibilities. Didn't happen.
1: I thought it was a fine speech. That man packs platitudes better than most, I gotta give him credit for that. He nailed the clothes,
2: for sure. Now is the hour, our moment of responsibility, our test of resolve and conscience of history itself. It is in this moment that our character of this generation is formed. Our purpose is found. Our future is forged. Well, I know this nation. We'll meet the test, protect freedom and liberty, expand fairness and opportunity, and we will save democracy. As hard as those times have been, I'm more optimistic about America today than I've been my whole life because I see the future that's within our grasp because I know there's simply nothing beyond our capacity. We're the only nation on earth that has always turned every crisis we faced into an opportunity. The only nation that can be defined by a single word, possibilities. So on this night, on our 245th year as a nation, I've come to report on the state of the nation, the state of the union. And my report is this, the state of the union is strong because you, the American people, are strong. We are stronger today. We are stronger today than we were a year ago. And we'll be stronger a year from now than we are today. This is our moment to meet and overcome the challenges of our time. And we will, as one people, one America, the United States of America. God bless you all. And may God protect our troops. Thank you.
1: Where do we go from here, Harvey? Closing it out, what do you think? Is this going to be the speech that helps them out in the midterms? What would you rank it? close it out well let's put it this way it will soon be forgotten
0: the speech it will soon be forgotten unless unless biden decides it's time for a road trip and get your forces together and get out there rally americans do what you didn't do in the speech call them forth let them meet each other let's put it this way am i going to fantasize and imagine even if people turn out that somehow or other this is all going to happen no, but let people feel invested in it. Let them believe that you, Joe Biden, mean everything you say, because they didn't see you fight for a year. They didn't see you call workers up and say, if this
1: Congress fails you, you turn out anyhow. Force the issue. Professor Harvey K, next week, my brother, what are we going to be taking back next week? OK, we're going back to FDR, Franklin Roosevelt, and we're going to deal with the beginnings and into the first year
0: or so of his third term as president. We'll look at his third inaugural address all the way through to a speech that I absolutely love, which was February 23, 1942, when he spoke to the nation in a fireside chat and he reminded them of Washington's retreat across New Jersey in the winter of 1776. That is the end of the year 76. And then he recalls Thomas Paine in the crisis papers. He he says basically, you know at the opening of the speech, everyone will see. And the pivotal set of words there are from Thomas Paine's crisis paper. These are the times that chime in souls. But it goes on to rally Americans. I think the Democrats could use a hell of a good dose first of Thomas Paine and then a good dose of Franklin Roosevelt. But just you and me, pushing right now.
1: <laughs> for now, it's you and me and the rest of our comrades, Professor K. And before I let you go, 30 seconds, because you're going to hop on radio here in a bit. Plug that PDA piece, the 21st century economic bill of rights. You, Alan Minsky, a lot of folks put this together. Where can we go? Okay. So Alan Minsky, who is the executive
0: director of Progressive Democrats of America and I put together a call for the 21st century economic bill of rights, drawing on FDR, A. Philip Randolph, Martin Luther King, Bernie Sanders, a whole host of significant progressives in the past. We've garnered support quite a bit. It's growing. It's available online at Progressive Democrats of America. I've been tweeting it a lot. If you really want to see the final copy, go to Common Dreams, the website, and just plug in my name or Alan's name, M-I-N-S-K-Y, or Economic Bill of Rights, and then in a couple of weeks, when Hartzell and I take up FDR call for an Economic Bill of Rights, we'll then also, I hope, address this 21st century Economic Bill of Rights, and hopefully we'll have Alan join Hartzell and me. And if any of you also just want to have me send it to you directly, go on Twitter. I'm at J K. Say... Can you send me the link to that Economic Bill of Rights call that you and Alan Minsky did? Or just say, show me the Economic Bill of Rights, and I'll send you the link.
1: And I'll insert it into our show notes today as well. Oh, great. So I got you covered. I love you, brother. In solidarity. We'll chat next week. Love you. Next week.
2: What oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light What's so proudly we hailed as the twilight's of-
0: Through the perilous fight For the grand hearts we watch whistle, song And we're screaming America! 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 America!
2: America! America! America.
0: morning, morning Shadow.